Welcome to the Richmond Comedy Podcast, a Traverse Comedy production. On this podcast, we interview comedians who come to Richmond to perform and the comedians who make up the local Richmond comedy scene. This show is produced by Steve Muir and Mary Jane French and hosted by Mary Jane French. Please enjoy. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Richmond Comedy Podcast. Today, I get to talk to one of my absolute favorite comedians out of Los Angeles, Keith Carey. Keith is an excellent stand-up, a great podcaster, and a workhorse joke writer who actually churns out fantastic jokes on command. And Richmond, Virginia is lucky enough that he will be performing at Castleburg Brewery on Sunday, October 17th. This is a free show, so you have no excuse for missing this one, folks. The show is hosted and produced by Mike Engel, a mainstay of the RVA comedy scene. But before that show, here is my interview with Keith. Did, did you hear that? <laughs> I did. It's very jarring. It is. It always uh, makes me uh, withdraw a little bit. But um, what's the Zoom alert? Like, put your dick away. Like, <laughs> it's really what it is. <laughs> yes. Uh, anywho, Keith, thank you so much for uh, being on the on the show. Yeah, Welcome. thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we were just talking about how the last time that you and I saw each other in person was doing another podcast uh, right before the pandemic started. In, yeah, it was that great first week where everyone was just like, we're all going to be fine, right? And yeah. like still kind of being normal, but figuring out how afraid the other person was and then trying it, to match that level. I don't know if you're, so you know how like every once in a blue moon, there will be like, oh, some lab had an Ebola outbreak and people are like, is everyone going to die? Uh, like in the U.S. Right. Like I remember, yeah. and most of those labs are in Virginia is the thing. And are so, they really? Uh, a lot of the times that they've happened, there have been like at least two times in my in my lifetime where I've been like, oh, great. Yeah, a lab like 30 miles from where I grew up is just like... Virginia is for lovers, parentheses <laughs> and infectious diseases. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's what you get for being, uh, you know, right below DC. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, but it was that weird period where people were just like, I don't have any actual information, so I'm just going to emphasize that I'm being cautious while not changing my behavior at all. 100%. And just pray. I'll just tell God that I'll donate canned food to some, yeah. like, if, if I survive. Like, oh, I remember reading the news and being like, well, I better lie about how much I'm washing my hands. Like, that's all it was. <laughs> I'm not going to do any better, but I am going to pretend that I can. Mm -hmm. We're going to start doing some pandemic theatrics real quick. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Performative cleanliness. Mm -hmm. But so uh, when, well, so what I, what I want to ask you, which is my, my go-to icebreaker question for everyone, because what I've learned doing this podcast, I open with the same question, not because I'm like, this is the most important question in all of comedy, but because okay. I've mostly interviewed people that I am friends with already. And I've realized right. that I'm like, you know, as much as I, I in hindsight, and I'm going to thumb for as much as I can and not get to the question for as long as I possibly Please. can. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, eat this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's a question that if I asked people outside, like just like talking interpersonally, I think people in general would be flattered that I'm taking an interest. But for some reason, I've always shied away from it. And I'm using the podcast as an excuse to just tell people, tell me about your first year. That's what I want to know. I want to know about people's first year in comedy. I want to know okay. your inciting incident. I want to know what your habit, like, like, 
you know, a- yeah. after, after a few years, people fall into the like, <laughs> okay, this is what rise and grind is like, but <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I know it, it, it's gross, but, uh, but everyone's first year, they're like, I don't have a blueprint. I guess this is what becoming a comedian is. And I like hearing what everyone's, uh, you know, yeah. what their brain came up with for, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, my uh, my first. So I started in uh, I started down in Orange County, California, uh, and I I originally from Orange County, right? I'm from Orange County. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I uh, I I had always kind of like I had been writing before that. Like I was I wanted to be like a like a screenwriter or a TV writer or something. Mm -hmm. And my friends were all like, oh, you should do stand up. And it just didn't seem like a real thing that existed to me because it was like I was close to L.A., but I was not like keyed into the scene or anything i knew stand up from tv mm. uh, but a buddy of mine uh, was hosting an open mic and i went to a mic and i realized that most people who do stand up are just like lunatics and drug addicts like it was just <laughs> like the most brain melted would be asking you for money at a gas station psychopaths mm. talking yeah. about their dick and i'm like well i'm not going to be great at this but i'm definitely going to be a little better than them like it was <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not gonna be the worst nothing makes yeah. you feel like you can do comedy more than right. going to an open mic right like yeah. I, i'm like i don't i because your fear is just being the worst person in the room and i'm like at least somebody here will be worse than me mm-hmm. uh and i did i did it the first time and i did like i i would not say i did well but i did okay for a first set like i got a yeah. laugh you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And in my head, I was like, oh, I'm the greatest comedian that ever lived. Like, <laughs> well, I'm, just first really, I'm just really a, a, a student of human psyche. And so yeah. I, I just know how to push all the right buttons to make the right. giggles come out. Yeah. Yeah. I just grew a turtleneck and a lot of opinions <laughs> very quickly. Yeah. But no, it was like, it's, I mean, it's, look, if you're, uh, you know, somebody who like kind of like, uh, uh, you know, it is desperate for attention. It's like heroin that first set where it goes well. Mm-hmm. Like it was, I like I literally got off stage and I turned to my girlfriend at the time and I was like, I think I might have to do this every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> and, and you saw her, you saw in her eyes, her go, okay. And then <laughs> behind her eyes go, we're definitely going to break up because of this. And I was like, I know, right? <laughs> and then we totally did. <laughs> How old were you when you started? Uh, like 21, 22. Okay, that that's, that's the right age. I mean, not, yeah. I mean, the beautiful thing about stand up is that there is no right age and there's no right way to do it, and yada, yada, yada. But also, that is the right <laughs> age. As as somebody who's trying to get on TV, there is a right age for comedy. <laughs> it's uh, 22. I'm so fucked. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, and that first year was a lot of like, I mean, you're out in Richmond, so you kind of have a similar thing where it's like, you know, we we had a scene, but it wasn't like a huge scene, like an L.A. or a New York or a Chicago. It was sort of mm. a pretty small insular scene. Mm. And what happened was, you know, so was, how long was I mean, I, I lived in L.A. for two and a half years at, at, the, at the end of all of it. But right. that's, you know, anyone who has lived in L.A. knows that that's not me having lived in L.A. at all, basically. I mean, that's not completely true, but I, it's a very short period of time in the scheme right. of it. And I also, I mostly lived in like, you know, North Hollywood and then I moved out to Santa Clarita. And so I I was on like the Northern end of LA and Orange County South. So what I want to know is when you were starting out in Orange County, how much of a schlep was it for you to go into LA to do shows if you wanted to try to do that? 
I didn't really go to LA much until like maybe two years in. Like okay. I really stayed down in OC. Cause like back then we were like scared of LA. Like we didn't want to go up there and look like assholes. You mm. know what I mean? So like uh, kind of the whole class I started with, it took us a while to get the courage to go to LA because we didn't want to show up and look like rubes from out of town. You know what I mean? Fair, but also smart move. I mean, I don't think, I don't think the looking like rubes part is the worry, but like in my experience, incubating for a little while and then going somewhere new when you might actually have a perspective or a voice of some kind is the way to go. Is the way to make a good first impression. Um, yeah, just to show up with like, you know, the kind of fundamentals of how to be on stage and function <laughs> as a comic figured out. Yeah, uh, it, it, it definitely made it easier in terms of like when I started going to L.A., like being able to work my way on to shows and kind of get people to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, take me semi seriously, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, you, you're not having a bunch of people see you just like make all of the brand new person mistakes immediately and just writing right. you off before ever talking to you. Yeah, if you're a comic from somewhere like small, don't go somewhere big until you know to put the mic stand behind you. Like yeah. that's <laughs> the number one thing that drives me insane. So like, figure that out, and then you can go to DC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, yeah. So what? So you had a bunch of people telling you that you should do comedy, and then you the your so your inciting incident was just realizing that you were definitely not going to be. Uh, the worst one. And also, yeah. I feel like having that proximity to L.A., at least at least my experience in my short time being there was like it, it was one of the more sobering realizations of like, oh, all of the people that I have like idolized, like not to discount anyone's talent, but right. there's just two cities where they point cameras at people. And those are the people that get famous. Like there's no right. magical element to either oh, yeah. of these geographic locations. Yeah, there's uh, probably some comedian in like Toledo, Ohio, doing a basement open mic who's funnier than anyone who's ever lived. Mm-hmm. But we just don't know. You know what yeah. I mean? Because they're not they're not in the spot where they uh, they make you famous. Exactly. And and so like that was like one of the bigger. Well, so my, my question is, did you have that? Did that become clear to you like early on? Because like. I told you that I found that out when I moved to LA. I moved to LA like six or seven years into doing comedy. And so like, I was right. still like idolizing certain people. And then I was just like, oh, a lot of these people that I've like been a fan of since I saw them on like, you know, some fucking Comedy Central show or whatever. I'm like, they have roommates. They right. <laughs> like, Yeah, no, like, it's, it's, it's really a weird moment when you realize like being on TV and being rich are not the same thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, like, I remember people who I had seen, like, late night sets and stuff, who I'm like, oh, that dude's so great. And then I'm in line with them for the open mic at the comedy store. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of, like, the great equalizer. Like, when you when I finally got to L.A., it's, like, seeing how far the drop from the top to the bottom is compared to being at the top of Orange County was, mm-hmm. uh, it was a humbling thing. But it was also kind of, uh, it was kind of cool to sort of restart the game on hard mode. But now I had, like, skills I didn't have when I started the first time. Absolutely. And, and also the thing that I always found extra fun was not even seeing someone that I was already a fan of, but meeting right. someone and after knowing them for a few months going, oh, you've been on Conan. Right. But, yeah, I, being like, but you're just like I an open micer. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because um, you're like, I, I think that guy might be going somewhere. And he's got a <laughs> career like 20 times better than yours. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, he just got back from like doing like four weekends in a row at like, you know, right. like clubs in the Midwest and is like, doesn't have a day job. But you don't fucking know that because right. it's hard to tell who has a day job and who is just sloppy. <laughs> right exactly yeah well and a lot of the best like the coolest people out there too are guys who do kind of hit that sort of mid-level where you're you know you're doing conan or you're touring you know a little bit mm. or whatever but they're not it's very easy to turn into a dick when you get a little successful and the people who don't are the people who tend to get more opportunities absolutely people are like, oh i actually like that person as well as think they're funny which is mm-hmm. you know hard to find and there's also like there are some people who reach that level and they and they go, okay, now I'm going to find a way to parlay this TV credit into not doing open mics anymore because now I can get anyone to let me work out new stuff on their book show and right. I can like get that stage time that way. And then there are other people <clears throat> who are like, I have some TV credits, but I do not have the energy to try to avoid open mics. I'm just going to keep going to open mics. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah, I like, I, I kind of have, uh, I mean, everybody stopped doing open mics uh, when COVID happened, even before that. Mm-hmm. I had stopped going to mics as much uh, just because, like, there it, it was no, I'm not better than mics. If anything, I just am getting older and I was getting <laughs> too tired to do it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. that's the big, you talk about the first year. Like, mm-hmm. the biggest thing I think about my first year is like the level of energy I had compared mm-hmm. to now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, uh, it's, it was shocking. Like I was literally, I was working at Disneyland. So I would mm-hmm. wake up at five in the morning, uh, mm-hmm. go to work for eight hours, then go do mics till three in the morning and then mm-hmm. sleep for like an hour and a half. And I did that for like eight months. Oh God. That's deeply impressive. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, a cry for help is also the term for it. But... Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's the problem yeah. with comedians is that we refer to that as deeply impressive. <laughs> yeah. Wow, man. You didn't take care of yourself at all. It's oh. all planned. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, another... the, the fact that you gave yourself a heart attack probably <laughs> fucking hella dope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The other thing that I'm very curious, I, sorry, I'm, yes. I am, I am so curious about what it's like to start adjacent to LA but not in LA Um, because it's such a culture shock going from like small scene to one of the two major markets and arguably in my opinion the bigger one because it's with it has more cameras um, it's bigger in different ways I think like New York I think is the bigger stand-up specific scene but if you want to like go get famous or go get it on TV, LA is definitely the place to go. Yeah, exactly. And so like, uh, but so my curiosity is like, like coming from Richmond, a lot of my experience was like, okay, people put open mics together and they were kind of just basing it off of, like they were just kind of like free balling it and and seeing what they could put together and kind of like doing inferences from how stand-up looked on TV. And right. so it's a lot of, I never encountered the bucket until I got to LA. Like how, okay. how different were the mics that you experienced in Orange County versus LA? I mean, it was very much like, uh, it, it was a much smaller scene. So mm-hmm. it was like, you know, you can go to LA, you can go to, you know, five mics in a night and not see the same people at any of them. Like yeah. it, mm-hmm. whereas we just didn't, there were probably like 30 actual comics in Orange County at any given time. Yeah. So what it was is like, you know, the mics were like, 
it was a lot of the same people, but it would force you to generate material faster because mm-hmm. you were like, all right, well, I can't do the same bit in front of the same crowd four times this week. Yeah. Uh, and it also created kind of like uh, there was sort of a brotherhood of uh, bullying, basically, that kind of grew around it where it's very like, familiar with that. Yeah. We all we all get very comfortable with like kind of beating the shit out of each other in a way that I think overall ended up being constructive. You know what? Like it's like, yeah, we had no yeah. problem telling each other when we sucked. And that's, uh, mm. we also would tell each other when we were good, like you'd give it up, but you had to like earn not getting, you know, shamed out of the room. And that, mm. uh, that is a thing that I'm glad I started there and not in LA. Cause LA it's like, uh, you get apathy more than anything else in LA. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I will take active rejection over apathy any day of the week. I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> I can work with somebody booing me. I can't work with somebody just texting. Like, you know what? I, 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 there's no data to. And, and that is honestly the biggest. Uh, one of the reasons that I'm so happy to be back in Richmond and not in L.A. is because right. being in an entertainment city is. The, there are there are appropriate places for open mics to happen, which means that the only people who are at the open mics are doing the open mics. Right. Whereas if you're in a smaller scene, there tend the open mics tend to happen at some bar that might not even have a separate space for it. And so you at least have the ambush audience that you have to learn to win over because right. they weren't expecting comedy to happen to them. But in yeah. LA, you're just in a fucking, you're just in the Lyric Hyperion and you're in a black box theater that has 30 other comics in it who can't leave the room because they don't know when they're going to be on deck. And so they're right. all lit, like up, like bottom lit by their phone and yeah. they're angry that their name, that they're not currently on deck. Like, yeah, you're doing a you're doing a set for an audience of people who think like they're telling like a ghost campfire story and they're pissed <laughs> about it. Yeah, exactly. Well, like not to not, not to blow smoke up your ass or anything, but like one of the things when I first saw you start to show up, I was like, oh, this girl fucking knows what she's doing because you had clearly done comedy in front of human beings and not just comedy. <laughs> like people who start in LA, like I, they're at such a disadvantage because all you know of the world is like you know the the la open mic world you can get lucky and find good pockets of it but it builds mm-hmm. a lot of bad habits and bad uh mm-hmm. tendencies where sometimes you'll see people who are like killing it in the la mic world and they go do like a bar show for like human beings 20 miles outside of la and they get mm-hmm. eaten alive because they don't yeah. know how to talk to anyone who's not a graphic designer like you know what i mean they're just mm-hmm. uh they, they know how to make the back of the room laugh because at an open mic in la the entire room is the back of the room it, Exactly. Yeah. I think yeah. getting in front of human beings is like the most uh, valuable thing like a young comic can do, which is why, uh, yeah, starting further <laughs> away from a major scene, I think, is a huge uh, help. Mm-hmm. And and also like having like my favorite open mic that no longer exists in Richmond because, well, actually, no, the open mic stopped existing before COVID killed the business that it was in. But it was okay. at a bar called Mojo's that was a great open mic because it had two bars in the building. They had a tiny, long, like narrow, long room where you would be performing at the front end. And then they had another bar, which means that people who are truly disinterested could just walk out and leave. But there were going to be people there that you were ambushing that sometimes wouldn't leave, but they would be mad that you were telling jokes, which means that the the only way that you could do well in that room was to go up, 
and yell so that you could make them hear you short sure. jokes because they're only yeah. going to catch 30, like 10 seconds of it anyway. <laughs> and so if you're telling a story, they're, they're not going to get all the context. You have to do a dumb fucking one-liner pun. And right. then if you do well enough, by the end, they'll be paying attention to you. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. It's, I love bars like that where it feels like you have to jingle keys for a baby. <laughs> really just trying yeah. to figure anything out to get them to calm the fuck down. Yeah, I, I, I recently uh, started dating someone new who saw me perform for the first time. And they uh, they were very complimentary. But the first thing they said, was, I was like, oh, so what'd you think? And they're like, you were very loud. And I'm like, yep, that is <laughs> that is what I have been trained to be. <laughs> you're like, you're waiting for funny. You're like, I'll take loud. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so at what point in your trajectory did you start so so you said about two years is when you started going up into LA and doing stuff when did you relocate to LA um uh, that was probably like four four or five years something like that yeah like around there because I was uh I moved from OC to Long Beach and Long Beach is Mm -hmm. like technically it's in LA, but it's like yeah. right in between the two. Long Beach uh, is like Santa Clarita where you can make the argument that you're in LA. If right. you really no want to. It. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you live in Long Beach and you do a festival somewhere else and they're like, yeah. where'd you, where are you from? You can go LA and people won't probe too much and you're not technically lying. Like, 100%. No, if I'm trying to get booked anywhere else, I say I'm from LA. If I'm trying to get booked in LA, I say I'm from Long Beach. Because they're like, ooh, exotic. You know? <laughs> Maybe he knows the bass player from Sublime. Like, just, uh, <laughs> if you're from more than three miles away from Silver, like you might as well live on the fucking moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I was, I was living in Long Beach, and I, uh, I, I it was the last day job I had was down there. And I was working this job, and I was, uh, I was dating this person. And it kind of got to a point where I was like, I know how much it's going to take for me to actually make a real run at this being my life. And what I have to do is just go be a shitty, you know, pirate and go live on someone's couch for like three years and not have to focus on anything but this. So I kind of had to like, I blew up my whole life basically and just decided I was going to go all in on the idea of comedy and move up to LA at that point. Fuck yeah. What was... What life did you blow up? Were you still working at Disney? Were you? Uh... Uh, no, I was. A, I was a tour guide on the, the Queen Mary, which was a haunted boat. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one ever expects that. <laughs> I just love the like, oh yeah, I quit my totally norm core day job giving haunted <laughs> boat tours. Yeah, man. I don't want to be a square. Look, I'm tired of being a seaman. I'm going to go be a pirate. Yeah. I didn't want to just live my life in the pocket of big ghost boat. You know? (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, look, it was a dumb, it was the only job I was qualified for. Because really what it was is I was doing ghost tours for tourists. So it was just an hour where 80% of it was crowd work and 20% of it was lies. And then they would yeah. tip me at the end, like yeah. a fucking rock. But uh, it was more just like, I, it was more a mindset thing of like, cause I was yeah. dying. Like you, trying to- you decided, Hey, I'm not going to try to do comedy as, as a hobby. I'm going to try to make this 
the right. thing. Yeah. Yeah, I have to I had to remove the safety net from under me basically mm. and just uh kind of go all the way with it. Because yeah. one thing I know about myself is that uh, I work the best with a gun to my head. Uh-huh. Where, like if I'm if I'm comfortable, I don't get shit done. So generally, mm-hmm. if I uh, put myself in a situation where I cannot fail or I will die or be homeless, I will usually figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so and that, also, that was kind of the move there. Coming from you know L- an LA adjacent county, you have the you know you you don't have a much cheaper city that you can move to like orange county is more affordable than la but it's still right southern california right outside la like that's like being like oh, yeah. i live in dc but i can always move back to nova uh right is, it's like, like everything's still expensive like anywhere yeah. around you pretty much mm-hmm. and so you know you 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 can either just be like i guess i'm stagnating next to la or i'm you know right you know, burning alive in LA. Let's at least go with the exciting one. Like, Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Well, it was kind of like the thing of like, I was also like, all right, I'm young. I'm stupid. I have no real like uh, attachments or responsibilities. Let's do this for a couple of years. And if it doesn't work, I can say I tried to do it. You know what yeah, I mean? And then yeah. I can, uh, if it doesn't, something else if it doesn't work, you can become a substitute teacher. And while you're yeah. doing that, you can get your teaching certification. And then you're like, I'm good at talking to groups of people. And I have the sense of humor of a teenager. So this right. fits. Like, yeah, I'll be, I'll, I'll be the fun guy who works at the bank at some point. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? If exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so then at what point did you start... Um, at what point did you start branching out away from California? Because I know, like, you're in my in my mind at least, you're a road guy, but you're 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 a punkier oh, road guy. You're you're not you're not the like oh I've got clubs that will let me feature anywhere. You're oh the, mercy like, no. I have I you know how to appropriately couch surf enough and make it work just well enough that it's financially workable to be like right. I did a tour. And, uh, you know, you build up the crowd by just going back, okay, like, you know, at, right. at, no, at the right interval. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that started really when I was doing, uh, I was doing Mean Boys with, uh, with Tom and Connor. And that was how we, like, we were getting people hitting us up from that podcast world. We want, to, we want you to come to Chicago or wherever. But, like, mm-hmm. we, we did have no in at any of the clubs. Like, getting, like, an actual, like, headlining spot at, like, a big comedy club is impossible. Yeah. Uh, so it became more of a thing of like, all right, if we can find a small enough bar, we can definitely get like 20 people to show mm. up in most I, major cities. And like, yeah. And I, I imagine if you like hit up like, you know, the more mainstream clubs, they would go, what, you don't even have a CISO special? Well, 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. You were never on at midnight. <laughs> Do you even exist? What, what were you even doing in Lost Angles? Like... <laughs> but no, I mean, but doing like that, like we talk about like the kind of independent touring stuff was sort mm-hmm. of like you, you know, if you don't care about making money and you just care about making enough to kind of stay afloat, and maybe make mm-hmm. a couple hundred bucks. It's it's not super hard because there are also like. In like, you know, look, when I announced I wanted to go back on the road, Mike from Richmond was the first guy who was like, I will definitely hook you up. Like mm-hmm. people want to help you come from like L.A. to other places because you yeah. want to like mix the scene up. Like we were excited mm-hmm. about getting L.A. people in Orange County mm-hmm. just because it was like, oh, it's, you know, it's somebody you haven't seen come through. Yeah. And it's not the same four guys they book at the improv every year. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, like I love, uh, you know, 
earthquake, but like he doesn't call out me earthquake. <laughs> I don't know why I picked him. It's just the funniest guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but fucking, but yeah. So once I uh, once we figured that out, I realized I'm way more excited about touring that way than I ever would be about like, you know, doing like a professional kind of road dog thing. I feel like most comics are socially volatile, and. Okay. It, or 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 anxious or both because of each other like and, right. and so I feel like the DIY touring method and like it it requires you to make those like camp friends that you make on the road as yes. opposed to like if you tried to do it the more traditional way it's super easy to just like road isolate yourself and like not, right. not actually engage with anyone while you're doing it and right uh, it makes it feel like it's, it feels so much nicer to be visiting people and doing some shows as opposed exactly. to like, oh, I'm on a comedy business trip. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've done that where it's like, all right, you're in Arizona and you're at the condo and then you'll mm -hmm. go do your sets and you'll come back and be alone. Like, mm -hmm. that's no fun. But like this thing where it's like, I'm excited to go to like Nashville, but I'm also excited to like see that weird dude who's like a trombone player in a ska band who lives in Nashville. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Or like, the weird dude from Florida who wants me to autograph his t-shirt. Like these weird people you kind of accumulate over the, uh, the years of being on the road are really kind of what makes it fun. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. so uh, as we're getting towards the end here and wrapping up. So one of the goals of this podcast is that I'm hoping that we develop a listenership of folks who are looking for what's going on in Richmond comedy. Obviously you're going to be uh, performing at Castleburg on October 17th. Uh, I am. You are. And there is that. But I'm also hoping that some of the folks who are listening into this are folks who are interested in possibly starting comedy in Richmond. And so what I like to ask everyone towards the end is what what words do you have for anyone who is considering doing their first open mic? Like like what what is your boilerplate advice for someone who wants to start? Uh, just do it. You'll probably mm. be really bad at it, but you'll probably have fun. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't, if you don't have fun, you probably weren't going to have fun continuing <laughs> to do it, but do, do it. So you don't have to keep asking yourself if you're going to do it. That is Keith Carey, everyone. God, I miss talking to that man. Okay. You can catch Keith on Sunday, October 17th at Castleburg Brewery. He will be joined by Tom Goss and Nicole Buchanan. Yours truly will also be opening up that show. Now, one last thing about Keith, though. As a transgender comedian who's been doing stand-up for nearly a decade, I personally can verify that for many years after trans people became a hot topic in the public eye, there were only a very small minority of cisgender comedians who knew how to even mention trans people on stage without embarrassing themselves by demonstrating how little they actually understood about trans people or the process of transition or etc. yada, yada, yada. However... Keith Carey just so happens to be one such cisgender comedian with my actual favorite joke about trans people that isn't by a trans person. And we are going to close out this episode with that track off of Keith's 2019 album, Partylicious. The track is entitled Jeepers a Dick. I, uh, I went through a, uh, a, a brief period uh, earlier last year where I dated like four transgender girls in a row. And it wasn't like a weird fetishy thing. I'm not being a creep. I was just like, yeah, I like boys. I like girls. Why not a tall cup of et cetera? Like that. <laughs> <laughs> and 
look, I get, it's a weird thing to laugh at. People get very sensitive about transgender people on both sides. I don't really get the fuss about gender. It seems like a weird thing to get irritated about at all. Like, to me, gender is a lot like the Taco Bell menu. Like, you can rearrange it however you want. You can present it differently and call it a different thing. Like, here's your crunch wrap, what have you. But at the end of the day, it's the same three ingredients over and over again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cheese, lettuce, beef, dick, pussy, butthole. Like, you're going to get some combination of that, and it's going to be pretty cool, and you're either going to be a bitch about it or you're going to live moss and put it in your mouth. Like... <laughs> I went on a date with this one girl, and it was a very nice gal, very nice date. We get back to my house, we start hooking up, I go to take her dress off. And this is not a Jeepers a Dick story. Like, it's not one of the, I knew there was gonna be a dick. I've read the literature. Like, I understood <laughs> the process. What I did not ex expect is how much bigger her dick was gonna be than my dick. <laughs> and look, this is not me doing the comedian self-deprecating, my dick sucks, give me a sitcom. Like, that's not. <laughs> That's not what this is. I have a very big dick. And I can physically feel all of you not believing me. And that's fine, that doesn't hurt me. The people who need to know already know. You know what I mean? It feels like justice to me. You know why the universe gave me a big dick? Because anyone who's gonna fuck me earned a big dick. Like, you're doing community service. Right here, this is Shawshank, baby. And then that is a river of shit all the way down. And then this is eight and a half inches of Tim Robbins building a boat on the beach. <laughs> but this girl's dick was big on a cosmic level. Like, her dick had a knee. Do you understand? <laughs> Articulation. Her dick is so big, it wouldn't open for me tonight. Like, that's... <laughs> And here's the problem I ran into. I personally, big fan of big dicks. And if a guy has a big dick, there's a protocol. I simply look at him, I give him a thumbs up, and I say, good for you, slugger, you're in charge. And that works out great. But I got this lady with this big ass dick, and I want to tell her, well, hey lady, your dick is awesome. But then I remember some ladies don't want you to remind them that they have a dick. So now I got to cheat this lady's sweet ass dick like I'm a mafia witness. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, dick, hey, listen lady, I didn't see nothing, okay? <laughs> What do you want me to tell you? I was outside having a smoke. Maybe your pussy fell off the truck. Who knows? <laughs> Call my lawyer. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Richmond Comedy Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed hearing about the comings and goings in the scene. Please subscribe and review to help us support live local comedy.